Welcome to the Two Brothers and Their Sports Podcast. I'm your co-host, Aro. And I'm your co-host, Arch. And we have yet another incredible episode lined up for you guys. We're going to start the podcast by talking about Juwan Howard's punch that he threw out of a Wisconsin assistant coach after Michigan's loss to Wisconsin and really what that meant for the sports world. And then we're going to talk about the U.S. women's national team lawsuit that really hasn't received enough publicity, which basically their lawsuit got settled for $24 million. And then we're going to talk about LeBron James's comments about potentially playing with Bronny James in his last season and his comments about Sam Presti being the MVP of, uh, of GMs. And then finally, we're going to end the episode by talking about James Harden's return to the 76ers and how great he looked. Arsh, why don't you get us started with your thoughts on about, about Jawan Howard? Yeah, this was a very crazy situation. And I think that Jawan Howard, he was upset about the timeouts that were called with Wisconsin up by 15, I believe, up by a lot. And in the last couple seconds, they called two timeouts. He was upset about that. He said, I'll remember this. And the head coach, Greg Gaines, sorry, not Greg Gaines, um, the head coach of Wisconsin put his hands on Juwan Howard. Juwan Howard got upset. And then there was a there was just some arguing. People got broken up. And then Juwan Howard took a swing at the um at the assistant coach. And that's what really started the actual brawl. I think that this was a crazy situation, a very bad look for the NCAA. And maybe it's because Juwan Howard was upset. Maybe it was because he was he Juwan Howard had a situation like this a couple of years ago. I think as people have said he was thinking, hey, I'm this, I'm an NBA all-star. I was part of the Fab Five. Who are you to do this to me when with what I've used to and still am? And he was really upset about what had happened. And I think that he he just overreacted. He got very upset and he shouldn't have been that upset. He should have had control over what was happening. And he didn't. But I I think that the five game suspension is good. But if it's already happened once, this is the second time. If this happens again. I think that he has to be gone from college basketball. But I think that it's a very bad look for the NCAA and Juwan Howard and Michigan and the people that really want Juwan Howard. Imagine if Juwan Howard came into your house and said, hey, I want your son to play basketball for me. How would you feel after watching this? Not great in my opinion. So I think that it's going to be a pretty cool situation to see what's going to happen. I think that it's going to be cool to see how um, Juwan Howard is going to grow after this situation. And I just hope that this never happens again. How do you think he's going to grow? Because you said he's going to grow. What really, what does that look like? Yeah, I think that he's going to grow because he's going to be like, hey, what, I'm be- what I've done twice now is not okay. And I got to c- cut it out. I can't get so mad about these things. And especially what is happening, what I used to be, he has to let that go with what he used to be. Because to be fair, Wisconsin destroyed them. And what you used to be is still not as great as what you are now compared to the head coach on the other side whose team beat you guys. So in my opinion, that's how it'll grow. I think that he won't do this again. And in that fashion, in that way, he will grow from his past mistakes. And I'm going to take a different perspective on this. This is just a completely, a complete and utter, utter disrespect to the game of college basketball and to basketball in general. After the game, after the game's over, which we know Jawan Howard's had management, I mean, had anger, had anger issues. We've seen last or a couple years ago when he was after this, about the same thing happened when they were playing Maryland. 
And I think that was earlier this year. And then this is the second time now that as a head coach, he's done something unacceptable. And after after the events, he came out and said, this is unacceptable. After I have time to reflect, I don't think this is okay, which is the generic response. I don't know if he really means that. And that's exactly why I disagree with your point about, oh, he'll grow from this. No, he won't. He won't. He's done this once already. He got suspended five games now after this incident, which is the rest of the season. But it doesn't matter. He's not going to grow. Maybe he receives some help for his anger issues. But he's the he's really passionate about basketball. You mentioned how how uh, high of a level he played in the NBA. But still, he's not going to. He's he's really not going to grow from this. Nothing's going to come of this. And so back to the game uh, and what I was saying about a disrespect. It's how do you have a head coach who has played at the highest level and he. He's made an all-star team. He's been, he was part of the Fab Five, like you mentioned. And he just, in the handshake line, which is where you show sportsmanship, and he just completely disrespects an assistant coach for the other team. He completely disrespected um, Joe Krabenhoff in the, in the handshake line. And it led to a huge brawl, which basically a bunch of the members from each team, a bunch of the players and athletes came together at the center of the uh, baseline, and they just all were pushing and shoving. But as the head coach, you're the figure of authority or of authority. You're the person that sets the precedent for the rest of the team. You can't be walking around and just have have the incident where you strike an assistant head coach, I mean an assistant coach for the other team, not to mention after you lost because they did something you didn't like. You're gonna strike them, you're gonna slap or punch them or whatever it seemed to be into the in the face. That's disrespectful. That's not acceptable for obviously for Michigan athletics, for athletics in general. And in the show of sportsmanship, when you're supposed to be, you're, you can feel whatever you feel. I understand losing is very difficult. As I both Arsh and I play sports, we understand how difficult it is to lose, especially when you're playing a team that you should have beaten. Yeah, but that, but should that doesn't excuse that does that. not excuse this yeah. behavior. That does not excuse the sportsmanship you should have exhibited in the handshake line, nonetheless where you're supposed to be showing support to the other team and encouraging them to, and encouraging your own team to do better. Now your athletes are going to say, okay, if our coach did this, really, we don't, number one, we don't know who's going to lead us. Number two, we don't know how they're going to lead us. And number three, we don't know if we can, we can trust this man anymore. Now let's move into James Harden's debut with the Philadelphia 76ers. It was an incredible game. They ended up winning by over 30 points against the Minnesota Timberwolves at Minnesota. So it was a really big win. But I think arguably one of the most, one of the things that probably if you watch that game, you saw is the sheer amount of fouls that James Harden was able to get in his debut. It looked like he didn't miss a beat. He converted on two four-point plays in the same game, nonetheless. He had he played 35 minutes, had 27 points, eight rebounds, and 12 assists. He looked like that old James Harden. However, he did he he shot seven of 12 from the field, so that's not the best. But obviously, you want better from a star. But the I think what many people saw is number one the sheer amount of fouls that were called for James Harden and Joel Embiid. But number two, well, obviously both of them are very good free throw shooters. That's you can't doubt that. But number two. Just how explosive and how incredible these this duo is going to be. We saw glimpses of them playing together. We saw how much attention James Harden attracted in his return, which he's been out um, uh, monitoring a hamstring issue. And Joel Embiid, it's surprising. 
James Harden entered the fold, and it was like Joel Embiid was like a non-factor. Joel Embiid was like a sidekick. It was like, oh, it's James Harden. This guy can shoot threes. And mainly the Timberwolves defense focused on that. And that was incredibly surprising to see. And it was it was great to see James Harden back. He looks, in my opinion, he doesn't look the same in the Philadelphia 76ers uniform because he obviously he hasn't been there. But it's I think this is going to be one of the biggest, I mean, one of the most uh, incredible duos in the NBA. And I think it's going to be one of the biggest, um, not one of the biggest disappointments because I think they're going to go to the finals. But it's going to be one of the biggest um, shows of playing together and alley-oops and one of the most exciting duos just to watch in the NBA. And I mentioned as soon as James Harden got traded, he's going to take away some of Joel Embiid's minutes. Joel Embiid only played 31 minutes. Part, part of that was due to the blowout. But in those 31 minutes, he still got 34 points, 10 rebounds, and three assists. So James Harden's taking the assist factor, which he's always done. He's led the league in assists many times. But he he is taking away shots from Joel Embiid. So I think you've got to find a balance, but that's the only critique I have. They look incredible. Yeah, I agree. I think that they they looked really good out there. James Harden had 17 in the first half. He played amazing. And Joel Embiid was not bad either. I think both of them played very well. And I think that it's going to be a really good duo. Like I predicted at the beginning of the NBA season, you can check on the tape. I said that Joel Embiid will be the MVP. So when you're, and he's a front runner in my opinion right now. So when you're pairing the front runner for MVP and James Harden, a lethal three-point shooter, when you have a guy on the inside and a guy on the outside that, that can both create shots, both can play very good basketball. And playmakers. Both of them are great playmakers too. Yeah, I don't know how that other people are going to be able to deal with this because this is just such a stacked team, such a great team. And it's going to be very difficult for other teams to beat them. But I have a question. If you had to name a team that would beat the Nets, sorry, that would beat the Sixers, who would you choose? Ooh, that is tough. Um, I'd probably have to go, are you talking about Eastern, Western, or just in general? I mean, Eastern or Western or in general? Just in general. Um, I'll pick one from the East and one from the West. So for the East, I think it's going to be, this is a close one. I think the 76ers are going to make it to the NBA finals and get over that hump that Joel Embiid has not been able to get over, um, in the playoffs. But I think the one team that's going to give them trouble down the stretch is got to be the Milwaukee Bucks. We've seen, and especially now Joel Embiid's an, an above average defender, but James Harden brings basically no defense to the table. And when you have a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo, who brings length, who stretches the floor, who's now developing a mid-range and jump shot, and you just acquired a guy who's a playmaker on offense but does nothing on defense, that's going to be a real trouble uh, aspect there. Obviously, they have Tyrese Maxey and and Matisse Thybulle, who's a first-team all-NBA all defense. But it doesn't matter. You, you just acquired a guy, and you spent so much for a guy who is 37 and doesn't play a lot of defense. So I, you could argue the Nets here, but the Nets aren't really healthy most of the time. So I think the biggest problem is going to be the Milwaukee Bucks, and especially with Drew Holiday and uh, Chris Middleton and obviously Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's going to be tough. But in the West, I'm probably going to have to go – that's that's also tough. I'm, pro- I'm probably going to go the Phoenix Suns. Um, 
Again, same reason, two incredible playmakers, two guys that can shoot. Chris Paul is arguably the best, I think the best mid-range shooter of the basketball in the NBA. And you, again, you acquired a guy that doesn't play a lot of defense. It's going to be hard to guard them in uh, around the perimeter. So I think I'm going to have to go with at basically any shooting team that can run circles around James Harden and can shoot the three well and mid-range well, I think they're going to give them trouble, like the Spurs and DeJounte Murray. What do you think? Yeah, I think that I agree with your selection with the Bucks. I think that also the um, I think that there's a lot of teams that could be really dangerous. I think the Bulls for one, the Bulls with DeMar DeRozan, who's been playing great sure. MVP level this year. And then you have Zach Levine, you have Lonzo Ball, you have Alex Cruz. So it's a pretty dang good team. And they're first, they're first in their conference, not the 76ers. Not the Lakers. They're for the Bulls are first in their conference. I think that they're right now, they're one of the teams to beat. And I think that now that James Harden is on the 76ers, they will start going up and up in the standings. But for right now, I think that it's going to be the Bulls that are the team to beat. And that is the team to beat for the 76ers as well. Yeah, I can't believe I forgot about the Bulls, but yes, they've been an incredible team. DeMar DeRozan, I think, has been the, the most clutch player. In, in my lifetime, I've seen play like the most clutch player at the end of the game. Like I think he's made in in my history of watching basketball. I think he's made or I've seen the most clutch shots from him out of in one season than anyone. So I, I can't believe I forgot about the Bulls. So we're first going to start by talking about the U.S. Women's National Team lawsuit that got settled. And basically what happened is what the U.S. Women's National Team and the U.S. Soccer Federation, they settled the equal pay lawsuit, which basically, I don't know if you guys remember, but we talked about this in one of our beginning episodes, I think episode five or six. But basically what happened was the U.S. Women's National Team filed a lawsuit after the World Cup because I think, I believe they only got paid $3 million or something absurd like that for winning the World Cup combined. But I think men's, I think France, when they won, won, I think about 40 million, maybe even more. So basically they filed. And in general, um, women's soccer has been underpaid and uh, not even to mention compared to men, just underpaid in general. And so they filed this lawsuit and first it got declined and no one was really talking about it at that point. It was a really big deal. Both Arsh and I thought it was a big deal. No one even talked about it, which was absurd. And now it's finally, they, they finally come to a settlement for $24 million, which if you think about it for what the U S women's national team has done, which has been by far a lot more successful than men's. Yeah. By far also what they've them, run for U S soccer. It's been crazy. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. By far the most dominant team in U.S. soccer history. And they only they're only settling this for multiple years of underpayment just for twenty four million dollars. I mean, like I mentioned, France won more than that when they won the World Cup. So I do think it's the right thing. I really, really like that the U.S. Soccer Federation came together with the U.S. Women's U.S. Women's National Team. However, this wasn't because the U.S. Women's National Team was going to keep pushing this forward in court. But basically what the U.S. Soccer Federation did is they settled it without going to court and paid the $24 million, which, again, I don't know why the U.S. Women's National Team would take that. Obviously, well, it already got vetoed one time or declined one time. But needless to say, this was a long time in the making, and it's still not even going to make up for what women's soccer has had to go through. 
Definitely. I think it's a step in the right direction. But this, I think that they should have settled for a lot more. And hey, maybe we don't know all the court details. Maybe this is the only option. But I think that it's really unfair because of what what gender you were born with, de- deciding how much money you're going to make in the same profession as someone else who was born in another gender. I just think that it shouldn't work that way. And it's really not fair to them. And in my opinion, the U.S. women's soccer team is 10 times better than the U.S. men's soccer team. That, so they should be making 10 times more money. I think that the U.S. Women's World Cup is a very big event. Men and women and non and people that are anyone, that is any person that likes soccer is watching this game. Any gender, any race, anything, they're watching the Women's World Cup. And you could say the same for the Men's World Cup, but that, it prove, that proves my point. Women's World Cup is the same as the Men's World Cup but yet there's such a price disparity and for the winners, I just think that it shouldn't work that way. And I think that the U S women's soccer team really deserve this. And it's taken so long for this to happen. It's just been unacceptable. And I really like what Stephen A Smith said. He said, why did it take a lawsuit for this to happen? Like in general, this has been something that's been going on in all of the sports world, not even just soccer. Soccer, I think U.S. Women's National Team was one of the first teams to bring this up into court, which not to mention it got vetoed the first time. So I do like them being resilient. I do like them bringing this back. But I just I agree with Stephen A. Smith here. I mean, why does it take a lawsuit, a civil lawsuit that could go into court but got settled before with the U.S. Soccer Federation, which... I don't even know if they're going to make a change if they're just paying this to get this out of the news or not. But why does it take a lawsuit for that to happen? The U.S. Soccer Federation should realize, okay, our men's team is not doing that well. Our women's team is better than the men's team. Probably could beat them in an 11-on-11. So we got to start allotting a lot more money to the women's soccer team. And not to mention, it's I can't even believe we got vetoed the first time. They had to bring it back, and it's been more resilient. And like I mentioned, the U.S. Soccer Federation, hopefully there's, there's some change that there's a lot of change that comes out of this. But I don't know if they just signed this. I mean, if they just um, settled this before it went into court just to get this out of the news, because if they did and they're not going to make any changes, number one, they'll receive a lot of backlash, which is good. But number two, that's just not the humane thing to do. That's completely unacceptable. And I like this is like you mentioned, Arsh, I really like what you said there. It's a step in the right direction. We're going to be talking about Bronny James and LeBron James and the situation that's happening with the Lakers. So potentially LeBron James might, he said his last season would be with Bronny James and Bronny James is eligible to be in the NBA to be drafted in two years. Um, there obviously there's the rule change that the, that people coming out of high school are, are eligible to go straight to the NBA draft. Um, but this, I, this is a huge step for LeBron, that means he would have to play until his 21st year to play with Bronny James, which this year, it doesn't look like he's slowing down. I mentioned he's the weak point for that all-star team. But again, I think he is slowing down with all the injuries and his knee swelling that's been happening. I think that the age is starting to show on him. It's definitely showing, but there's besides the physical factors and the injured there's and the injuries, there's been nothing else. So his production really hasn't gone down that much. The only thing we've seen in his play that's gone down is the fact that he's not able to elevate a team without anyone else. We saw against the Cleveland Cav- or with the Cleveland Cavaliers, he was able to bring them to the NBA Finals, which is with a team that consisted of him and basically just Josh Hart. 
So that was an incredible thing. I mean, um, him and basically Larry Nance Jr. That, that was basically it. And so he was able to bring that team out of the dumps to the NBA Finals. So he's obviously not able to do that. But playing in the NBA for two more years is something that I don't think LeBron's going to be able to do. Obviously, he's going to. So, so this is a big thing. He's really manually inflating Bronny James's draft status. And that's because he's saying, which I don't know how good LeBron's going to be next year or even the year after, but he's saying whichever team gets Bronny will get LeBron too. Cause he said he wants to play with Bronny. Yeah. So whatever that might team, be worth it for a lot of teams. If you're getting LeBron, even if it's just for one year, he's still better than a lot of people in this league. I, I mean, maybe, but again, we don't know how he's going to regret. I mean, how he's going to regress, but we've, I, a lot of this is the main thing. Nothing's been talked about about how Bronny James, like no one said, oh, Bronny James is a good player. I haven't heard that once out of someone's mouth. I've heard, oh, if you get Bronny, you get LeBron, but I haven't heard anything about how good Bronny is. So there's really, that's really showing how much LeBron matters to the NBA and also showing how much people, teams don't really care about Bronny. Bronny's not even num- number one in his recruiting class, which for all the hype he's received, he should be that. If if that much hype he's received, if he's receiving that much hype, it should be parallel with how good he is. But it's not, and no one's really talking about that. So I'll I'll add more to this after what you say, Arsh. But it that's the big thing. Teams are doing this to get LeBron, so they're gonna draft Bronny higher, which I don't. That's never happened before. A a father increasing their son's draft status to play with them. That's just unprecedented. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I really like the term you use, manually inflating Bronny stocks, because that that's exactly what I think is happening. I think LeBron, I I haven't seen I haven't personally seen Bronny play, but based on what I've seen, I don't know if he'll be a first round pick. But now with what LeBron is doing, he's not even the best player like, on his high school team. Yeah, it's like you're trading for LeBron for one year, but you're not really trading for it. And a really big place where I think LeBron might end up with Bronny is probably going to be the the Oklahoma City Thunder because in Bronny's draft, their GM has already stocked up four first round picks. Someone's it's like he can read my mind. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, so I think that OKC is actually going to draft Bronny in this draft in that draft, and he's there. And I think that's going to be a really good team. But the point is that what LeBron is doing is very smart. But it might also be a little risky because what if he's not happy with the deal that they give Bronny? What if they only give Bronny a one-year deal? And what if Bronny doesn't play well? Like, there's so many hypothetical situations. What if Bronny gets hurt? What if LeBron just isn't that great anymore and then no one really cares about getting him? Like, they probably do care, but not as much as they would care if they got him right now in year 19. There's so many factors that might impact this because it's in the future. And LeBron's really start to – I think he's – really starting to show age. He's missed a couple games. He's gotten technicals. He's gotten suspended. There's been a lot of stuff that's happened to LeBron this year. He's pointed out some fans that he needs to get kicked out. So there's a lot of stuff that's happening to LeBron that has not happened or has not happened in a very long time. So many injuries. So I don't know. I don't know if LeBron's going to be as good as he is. I don't know if he's going to be the Tom Brady of the NBA. We're just going to have to see. But I think what he's doing is really smart, but also might put a lot of pressure on Bronny to play very well once he gets to the NBA. And in college, wherever he goes, I think he's leaning towards Duke. So wherever he goes, there's going to be extra eyes, not already because he's named LeBron James Jr. He's carrying that name, but also because now he's, I think, a lock for the NBA, no matter how he plays in college. 
And I think a lot of that, that is a lot for the NBA is because of LeBron. And you mentioned how much pressure LeBron's putting on him. LeBron is to many people, the second goat. There's no, Bronny James is not going to live up to that. I can tell you right now, LeBron James came out of high school, was a number one overall pick as a six, I mean, as an 18 year old and went on to took the, took the league by storm. And this is where he is now. Ronnie James is not even close to that. He's not even the best player on his high school team. But, Arsh, what I wanted to ask you was exactly this. We saw at the high school game, I mean, at the All-Star game, how much LeBron was hinting. He even said Sam Presti is the best, G- the MVP of GMs. He said he's the MVP because, like you mentioned, they have four first-round picks. So do you think that LeBron is hinting at that he's going to go to OKC in exchange for maybe a pick or two? But he may he might even take less in the trade just to make sure that the uh, uh, that OKC gets Bronny James. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Honestly, I don't really know what's going to happen, but I think that Sam Presley is a great GM. But also the fact that there's been so many issues with Rob Polinka and uh, LeBron James, especially with um, the the Rams GM, his I believe his kids sent um, LeBron James a T-shirt saying "F those picks." from when the Rams threw away all of their first-round picks for the future to sacrifice for the now, and they ended up winning the Super Bowl. That happened after the trade deadline when um, Russell Westbrook was not traded. I think that there's a lot of stuff going on with Rob Polinka and LeBron James, and I think that it's just going to keep escalating to the point where LeBron James is going to want out in a year, and that is – OKC is a great destination. He's already talked about how – there's the goat of GMs who's working for OKC. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I think, sorry, not goat MVP of GMs. So I think that it's going to come down to how LeBron is playing. And if he's playing at an an acceptable level next year, if he's just playing on an acceptable level, I think that he's going to go to OKC. That's all for today's show on the two brothers and their sports podcast. Make sure to stick around because next week, we are, I have another incredible episode lined up for you guys. Every Saturday, we post a new episode. So make sure to subscribe on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah.